Welcome to Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers who want to simplify and speed up their custom platform development. Visit timesys.com today for access to our podcast archives. Hi, welcome to Linux Link Radio. Uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about memory profilers and kernel profiling. I'm here with Jeremiah Lott. Hello. He's sitting in for Mache. He was at a, a show in, I think, uh, Nuremberg. So he got to take the week off and then he's visiting some family. So we have Jeremiah filling in for him. He was gracious enough to do that for us. Yeah, I'll try my best to <laughs> fill his No, Jeremiah, wasn't, he wasn't entirely willing. There was some bribery involved. That is true. I, I don't know if bribery is the right word, but arm twisting or something, something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, well, it doesn't really count for bribery because I don't plan on giving you what I bribed you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm such a cheapskate. So anyway, we wanted to talk about profiling and why embedded engineers care about profiling. And a, a lot of it boils down to getting the most efficient use out of your hardware. You know, because when you do desktop, you did desktop work, right? Yeah, uh, that's a lot, big part of my background, actually, is yeah. desktop yes. UI type work. Yeah. Um, so before you got into, I mean, that's one of those things that I did the same thing. So before you got into embedding, embedded work, hardware was almost something you didn't think about ever. Yeah, it, it, it's up, actually kind of the opposite. You kind of, you've got so much that you don't want to take the time to optimize code if it's not going to make a noticeable difference when the user actually plugs it in. But for embedded, it, it does, and it makes a cost difference. So that's a big part of it, too. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is a lot of our customers are bumping up against installed bases of hardware. So they may need to get an upgrade out or something like that. And they, they simply can't get more memory or more cycles without you know going out to the field and replacing 10,000 appliances. Right. So a lot of it has to do with making do with what you have. And in which case, you want to do that as intelligently. I'm making quotes with my finger, intelligently as possible. And so you really can't get out there and make changes where you think there's problems. You have to make changes where, you th- where, where there certainly are problems. Right. And that's where the whole embedded – well, not with the whole embedded, but that's where the profiling tools come into play. Because at least that way you can poke around and make intelligent changes on your system. I know we're going to do – for this, we're not going to spend a lot of time. Believe it or not, we actually prepared right before we turned on the microphone. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, up to, up to 30 seconds, right? Yeah. And so I know we want to talk about maybe even a minute. I, I think like – three times the preparation we normally put into a podcast. So we wanted to talk a little bit about what you do out in user land, but we wanted to concentrate more on what happens in the kernel. Because I know we've talked before about different sort of memory profilers and performance profilers for things running in user land, but we really didn't spend time on the kernel. Okay. So we want to dig in there. So that, that'll be about how things divide. So I know one of the first projects out there for profiling Linux was LTT, uh, the Linux Trace Toolkit. Right, and that that was out there. I think since two thousand three, two thousand three, two thousand four, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it came across. It was a set of patches, right? That you went, you would go in and uh, add to the kernel that would expose these performance counters uh, that were in essence sitting there on the on the chip already. And then every once in a while, a process would come come by and would sweep up the performance counters and put them somewhere, right? And then you could track how often a certain counter was tickled over a certain range of time. And I know that project was out there and then eventually it was subsumed, right? It, it didn't get a lot of activities. One of those projects that sort of went out there and died yeah, on the vine. It, it never quite got the uh, acceptance from kind of the core core yep. Linux developers. So it couldn't get in the mainline kernel. Yeah. And if it's not in, the, in that mainline and whoever is pushing really loses it, then uh, things tend to die. Yeah, it was, it was disappointing because you would look out there and it's like, well, I've made all these patches and they're for the whatever kernel. And then the kernel moved fast enough, and he, could, he had just trouble getting the patches synchronized. And right. It was really disappointing because it was decently, it was 
uh, there was I wouldn't say anything inherently wrong, right, with, with the way that it was done. So that was eventually subsumed, right? I'm going to call it subsumed. I wouldn't even call it forked, but let's say replaced by the uh, LTTNG project. Um, and that's a lot. Uh, I shouldn't say it's a lot, but that is something that's now actually in the kernel for most kernel releases. It's uh, certainly moving that way. I yeah. know. Uh, I don't know if, if it's totally in the kernel, but stuff from it's moving into the kernel, so it's going the right direction for unlike before. Yeah, I, I, he is getting a lot more acceptance. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so the chances are, if you get a kernel from most vendors, not all, but most vendors, they will have the LTT NG patches in there. Not true for our architectures. There's still. I don't know if you visit. I should have written down before I came in. See, we put another minute into preparation, right? But if you visit the site, there is a description of the of exactly what chips are covered because a lot of it is architecture de- dependent, and also we can get the patch list from. So that's what's happening on the the LTT side, and then there's also been a project that's been running for the kernel for geez years now, right? Which is O Profile, and O Profile does a slightly different job, right, than LTTNG, and um, and that's that's actually been. Uh, I think well accepted. Uh, if, I, if I recall, that's the, the the patches for that or any sort of changes kernel land are already in the kernel. That is in the mainline kernel. Yeah, yeah I mean Red Hat was one of the big pushers behind that. And yeah, they, they, it is in there now. Yeah. So the, so if you're looking for that sort of profiling, but the difference, I think, what, one of the things that I get you when know, I talk to people, so the phone rings and someone will say, "Well, what do I need?" and "What's the difference?" and you know one or the other right so when i sort of when i talk to them I, I look i look at the difference between the two as like a o profile tells you how time is running or how the kernel spends its time on an aggregate basis so it'll tell you it spent 35% of its time in this routine of course that's a gross exaggeration right probably sure. spent 30 of its time idle for all intents and purposes or it'll spend 25% of its time with this certain event or inside this chunk of code you have these number of faults that occur uh, over the run of a program. But the difference is, uh, okay, so that's what O-Profile tells you. Yeah. So it's very aggregate. It's it's pretty high level. LTT, you probably you put this best on it before doing this. That shows you sort of like a timeline. Yeah, I, I usually think of, you know, if you want statistics about what's happening in various yeah. you know, parts of your code, O-Profile can tell you, you know, on this line, 25% of the time, the branch is mispredicted or something yeah. along those lines. If you want to know exactly which, which time the branch was mispredicted and what happened immediately before and immediately after in that timeline, and you want a real, you know, almost like you, not, you know, it's not like a step debugger, but almost like the same kind of thing if you were stepping through the code, yeah. and you want that timeline, then you need something more along the lines of the trace, trace toolkit, uh, yeah. LTT. So, I mean, the, the LTTNG really does give you a better, I should say, like whole system. Appearance, so because there's a lot of because you know for most people still process work on uniprocess systems right so everything is serializing on that on that processor and then LTT lets you see how that time is being allocated with respect to the other tasks that are running at the same time so you can spot things like priority inversion if they happen or if you see a task that's that you haven't you didn't think about correctly and you see that it's waiting on I/O for you know, long blocks of time and therefore getting interrupted, you can get a better feel on how to tune your system. Yeah, particularly I think useful for when you when you when you, instead of thinking that something's always happening, that there's some exceptional case where there's a particularly large block that's happening. I think the trace toolkit would help you pick that exception out of what otherwise may be a statistically well performing function. If you just look at the overall statistics, it may be pretty good, but that one time when things are critical and it's happening 
it runs really slow. And in a, you know, an overall statistics of the of the system wouldn't wouldn't really reveal that. Yeah. Um, so so there's definitely kind of pros and cons to both. And of course, at the same time, if that function is called a thousand times or more, you can't view each of those individually. So there are times when you would want uh, a more aggregate view of how that function is performing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know one of the other handy things about LTTNG is the, of course, it has a really cool output. Well, I, I cool is I will decide whether it's cool or not. Uh, I know most people look at it and think, what am I seeing, right? But it, the thing that displays the timeline, but it, you can do things too, like very easily spot interrupt handlers that are masking interrupts for too long because you can see literally all activity come to the system, come to a halt on the system, right? As it does whatever it does that's too slow. And I know for folks that are out there that are doing, I don't know, I'm making close my fingers, real-time work, that's that's a huge advantage. And to try to spot that by either running grep or <laughs> you know, otherwise examining your code really isn't obvious. Yeah, I mean, definitely trying to trying to stab in the dark without one of those tools, it really is kind of get to that. You know, you start looking at I know a lot of times just doing that, even with a desktop work, you know, something's running just too slow. You know, you get the kind of end, end testing, yeah. and then you start looking through your code and trying to guess where it is. And I've done that before, change stuff, can't get anything to work. You bring out the tool, and of course, it's in a totally different piece of code, you know. Oh, yeah. You're changing code that just is completely, you know, it might, it might probably was really inefficient, but it was efficient enough to get the job done compared to the rest of the code. So it didn't really make a material effect. No, I, I I agree. That's why those are those are so critical. Because again, going back to and you know the the folks that we work with, efficiency is is of utmost importance whenever you have to meet a deadline, or you simply can't change the platform that you're running on, and right. and you need to get more work done with the same level of resources. And then we also wanted to you know I did want to mention hold on here look at my notes that LTT and NG both come with graphical profilers, so they both have this text mode output. That I know a lot of folks will just run through with sort. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's really beneficial in the way that both of them work in that they produce some sort of output that you can grab and view on a different machine than when the, the test ran. So I mean like typical O profile usage case, right? You run O profile, you scrape you scrape data via OP control into a file, and then you take the file somewhere else and open it up in a viewer. Right. And yeah. that it's a it's a bit of a pain on and you know, if you're in that sort of situation, doing that testing is probably to your advantage to, to bite the bullet and NFS amount of file system if you can afford the space, so you don't have to shuttle the file on and off. But both of those have been really well designed, so that you can take the data that comes out right as a text file, and then sh- you know schlep it over to another machine, which you know actually can run a GUI. That, yeah, that's definitely a, a major consideration. I know you know we've had to evaluate tools, and and when that when that use case is particularly difficult, it makes it pretty hard to use it on some of those embedded systems. Some of them are just not conducive to even a text processing if it has to do a lot of processing in order to, to for the display, you know, it can run into to problems. So. And, you know, LTTNG is the same way. It's really respectful in the fact that it'll go out. I think it creates a, re- what doesn't think, I know it creates a RelayFS file system, which memory-wise, it's a very small memory footprint memory system. It's small enough you could probably even leave it in the kernel if you wanted to uh, when you shipped your device. And works the works the same way. It queues up a bunch of data in memory, and in a big circular buffer, and then you can sniff, you know, snarf that off that file handle into something else that's a little bit more convenient to work with. Right. And so having the viewers, you know, separate really makes it 
uh, I wouldn't call it a pleasure, but it certainly makes it a, a heck of a lot easier whenever you're working on a system that doesn't have a terminal or, or anything like that right. you have to, to shell into. So for both of those, you know, for, you know I sh- and I should have written down, I know oprofile.org is the oprofile site, but LTTNG is something entirely different, right? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not the kind of person who types those things right in the bar. I search engine, <laughs> search engine the name of the project every time I go. So, yeah, those guys must love me. Yeah, but uh, I see their ads every time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but well, anyway, I don't know. I don't know. If that's the short term. Yeah, same with me. Just Google for LTTNG. Yeah, exactly. Do you click on all the ads? I always click on all the ads too. Uh, I don't even see them. So th- from that perspective, they don't love me. But I guess they make money whether I see them or not. No, I got to click on them probably. No, I never click on them. No, sometimes I do. No. Just, just for fun. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> gotta do something, right, for entertainment. So the other thing to think about is over in user land. So let's say we'll, we'll, we'll pretend the kernel was, you know, completely running. One of these tools become handy, both o, even both O profile and Alpha TNG, is that you can, in one respect, see the kernel as it runs normally. Right. Right. And then another use case for these is to run whatever your application is, um, so that it correctly tickles some problems you'd expect to see through both OProf, OProfile, and LTTNG. Um, and so one of the handy things, at least about OProfile, uh, is that you can almost watch things go from user land right into the kernel and back out again. Yeah, and, and get a feel for how that works. It's, it, I don't know if you, you can, you know, again, it's not a timeline thing, so it's not like you can watch yeah. a single thread of control going back and forth. But what you can definitely see is if you run your program, you see the direct effect of your program in terms of syscalls in the in the kernel. So, you you know, it, it helps you to, to, to see that kind of time. Uh, I mean, that's one of the advantages that they always tout about it, especially if you have, a, like, a system that's not just a single executable, but... You know, maybe you got a bunch of processes, a server running, all of it's going at the same time, just to see how all those things interact at the same time. And really, both, but I think both LTTNG and OProfile, the way that they work with the kernel level support, yeah. you profile a whole system as opposed to profiling a single application. Yeah, well, I get more use out of OProfile than LTT. So <laughs> that's usually my starting, it's my, my frame of reference point there. I've certainly used it more. Yeah. So. And I think it's probably an effect that's simply been out longer. Right? Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing for me is I just have more opportunity to use it, so know a little better. But yeah, and then other thing over in Userland, we have Gprof, right? That, that that's sort of like the analogous analogous tool for profiling, right? Sure. Yeah, it's just kind of you know when it's run, and 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 that's that's what they contrast the you know the system wide profiling Gprof. You get that profile just this application and pretend like nothing else is going on, kind yeah. of. Uh, profile in isolation, and of course, purely user space. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I know you can do things. I know uh, you can with Gprof. If you have the right libraries, you can link and at least see some performance counters for your standard C library. But as, as soon as a syscall is made, poof, you have. Yeah, I mean, you, you can no kind of see how long it takes, but to come back, but you don't get much beyond that. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I know a lot of folks that that use Gprof. I mean, the first thing they do is they compile up their program. And they run, and they get enough data, and then they press Control C. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you have to be a little bit picky about your profiling. And the other thing, at least I noticed about uh, Gprof, this is again being an embedded guy, is that you can get sometimes decent reads on how a system behaves in proportion just by running it on your desktop if you can afford to do that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, harness wise, I mean, it may run slower on your embedded system, uh, but you'll certainly have the same proportions. 
very infrequently do you really run across compiler issues that shift um, how the how things will run. I mean, yeah, it, it, it debugs your program in absence of resource constraints, though, which, you know, if, if you're going down to the actual embedded target, that can obviously have a huge impact just because the same resources might not be available. Timing might be different. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but I agree in that, that it does help you. The same way that just running it and seeing if it works on your desktop lets you get out bugs, profiling it on your desktop will help you determine a lot of the Think problems that a program would have are not specific to any particular architecture uh, way of doing so. Yeah, and I, I know, I know too. Even though it's to me somewhat uh, paradox, is that the the best way to run the profilers when you turn off all optimization anyway, right? So it's going to be it's going to be generating again. Yeah, that's a that's a good least way, efficient code, right? Well, that's a good way to analyze the logic of your program as opposed to you know in, in this kind of a generic case, you know. On the on your desktop, not the same architecture. Forget about you know what might be architecture specific optimizations and kind of the generic you know logic of your program and whether that's it's, it's working in an optimal way. No, I agree. I agree totally. And that's I mean that follows your because that, that's what we see for most of our customers is the fact that they'll do work on their desktop and and that's their pseudo target uh, because for the most part the interface is the same, right? Even if they have you know, USB devices or who knows what, they, they model their desktop to match their, their board and then deploy later. Yeah, at least for a subset of stuff, that makes a lot of sense. So Yeah. And then we also have, it's one other thing is, a, is heat profiling, which is another little variant of profiling that tells you how efficient things are allocated on and off the stack and if you're leaking uh, memory. Sure, to both profiling and kind of mem- memory heat debugging, dynamic yeah. memory debugging, make sure that you're not making... Uh, mistakes that will either leak memory or might result in kind of illegal pointers. That tends to be, you know, a, a, another completely user space uh, problem or other tools at least. But make sure you don't free stuff and then act, try to access it later, which may or may not work. Oh yeah, on lots of situations. So yeah, and you also yeah, I, I know that the other constraint we have our customers. So like a typical customer requirement is like, well, it needs to run for four days straight or eight days straight. And so even if they're leaking, you know, if they have one allocation that leaks every once in a while they'll find themselves out of memory too fast. Right. And instead of them trying to hunt through the code and looking, you run the tool. And, and right. You can run it for an hour and it leaks 10 bytes. Then, you know, if you run it for four days, it's going to release, <laughs> you know, leak an unacceptable amount. Right. I yeah. mean, so I know there's a, and I know we did a past podcast. You weren't, I don't think, I know we did it much and I did it together. We talked about some, you know, heap debuggers, things like M patrol, electric fence and D Malik and Memcheck. There's a whole, there's a whole big collection of them out there. Uh, it seems like the more I look, right? So every day, every time I go out and look, I find like one or two extra. <laughs> they they almost come out of the woodwork. I mean, that, that, that's an old idea. You know, that problem has been around oh, for yeah. a long time. And so certainly that, 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 that they haven't changed too much. And people either just write them themselves or the, the, the same ones, you know. They get it ported to new OSs, but the concept is very, very similar. Yeah. You know, I was talking to, to my boss, and he, he hasn't been a programmer for, for a, quite a while. And then when I told him how these things work, he said, that's exactly the same way we used to do it. You know, so, yeah, things definitely haven't changed. Uh, well, I know we were looking at them here for various reasons, right? And you know, we yep. found a couple of the tools were popular in use and last changed in the Clinton administration. Oh, yeah, yeah, things that hadn't so. been changed in quite a while, but still seemed to, to, to really be very stable, still working and still in use, uh, despite the fact that there's not a lot of maintenance on the core products still going yeah. on. So yeah, that's actually really cool if you think about it. The the, the design implementation is that universal, right? Right. That manages the well, the other thing long. you look at is a lot of them work on 
huge list of OSs, compilers, you know, it, it is really a very generic optimization, or not optimization, but a very generic architecture, the way it works, Yeah, that it can be ported to so many different, you know, uh, systems. Yeah. And most of them work. I mean, that's, it's, you're not really, well, you're, you look at it, think about patching, right? You really just patch the alloc and free family of functions, right? Because I, I know yeah, that. In fact, a lot of them, they can do it. You, you just relink it. I mean, you don't, you don't, you just link it to a different function and they're uh, binary compatible. Oh, cool. Right. So, um, in fact, some of them, you can even do it at runtime. Now, a lot of them also have a lot of the kind of nice features that if you do write your program, I actually know that it's going to be running under the thing and, you know, pound define mdebug1 and add a little extra code or call their special header file. It can give you a lot more feedback. Yeah. But there is some feedback a lot of them can give you either just by relinking the program without compiling it or by giving or by changing the dynamic link path so that it picks up the, the you know, when it's dynamically linking malloc, it picks it up from the memory debugger instead of from libc. Oh, cool. So that means... That means it's, it's almost a practical solution, depending upon the size of the library, to ship that library on your on your root file system if you can afford it, space wise. Yeah, or, or at a minimum, you know, provide it as something that can be added to the to the system and then run. It, you know, it, it is something that you could basically have a running system, get this library on there somewhere, restart the processes linking against that library, and at least get some data back about what's going on on that main system. Yeah. Not as much as if you ran it in the full kind of debugging. Uh, the, the biggest problem would be a lot of them, to get back useful information, you got to get debugging symbols for it. Yeah. So, um, But some of them are like the debugger. You can you can have the debugging symbols on the host, get the addresses, port them over, you know, have it interpret them later time. So. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really cool. And, yeah. and, and I know... It said for so the more you look, I just found another one. It was called Duma, which Duma. is uh, I know it's an electric fence fork. It, it is a it, um, electric fence was never really like an official project. It was just kind of a, a C file that was out there, you know, and <laughs> yeah. people would take it and modify it and then repost it. And you know, there's never like, you know, I guess you could go to the original author's site to get the original copy, but there was never really like a project where people collaborated. Yeah, and uh, Duma was kind of an attempt to take take all the changes and everything that people had and make it into a centralized project on SourceForge and, yeah. you know, have an official version. Um, but it's, it, it's based on def- definitely the same concept as, yeah. as electric fence was. Yeah. That was the one I found most recently. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so they, they're always popping up. And, um, and I guess the one we didn't pass, then we didn't talk about probably spend like a whole 30 seconds on it is Valgren. Um, Valgren is more of a x86 tool. Yeah, um, they have some PowerPC support, but my experience is that it doesn't support a lot of the PowerPC variants. So situations where you have code compiled for particular CPUs it just still doesn't work. You get illegal instructions when it executes your, uh, you know, special uh, ex- extended instruction. And the way in its architecture, there's really no way around that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's an it it, it, excellent it's, tool. You know, it's an, it won a bunch of awards, and it's a great tool if you can, again, you know, run your um, – if you're going to run your program on an x86 box anyways as, oh, yeah. as part of the debugging, it's, it, it's a great tool. Uh, it's essentially a virtual machine uh, virtu- that runs – your application runs under, and that gives it a lot of flexibility to do things that uh, with the other architectures are – are just not possible to detect, but it also means it's a huge resource hog. It needs a 
desktop caliber machine to, to, to really run and work. And I know we have some of our, you know, some of the people that I know that the work, I mean, they're targeting uh, power PCs that fit into the Valgren profile, right? It's uh, Yeah, and you can certainly use it if the code that you're compiling, it, you know, only conforms the instruction set that that Valgrind. And I've seen even a few patches out there for Valgrind to make it to, to adhere to certain instruction sets. Yeah. But they're kind of of unknown origin, so I'm always a little paranoid, I guess, about that kind of stuff. Oh, no, I know completely. Yeah. I know completely. So I think that's what we wanted to talk about today. Thank you very much for, for said, for filling in. Yeah, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully he'll be back. That's what I should say. So I don't have to do it next week, but... But I enjoyed it still. Wow, thanks. <laughs> well, I hope you know. So I hope you know that out of the engineers we surveyed uh, for, for the for the podcast, you had your headphones on and we're listening to music, so you didn't scatter in time. I think, oh yeah, I think, I think that's what really happened. <laughs> I guess I just said hi instead of grunting, and all the guys who were grunting, they figured they wouldn't be able to understand what they said on the podcast. So uh-huh. yeah, uh huh. Well, you know, I we did have, but no, no, there were some guys like well he's like, well, I wrote a driver for this Atmel board and it's new for the screen. And it's like, well, tell me what you did. Well, it does stuff. Like, oh. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. What stuff? It's like, well, you know, I, then stuff happens. Man, what kind of stuff? You know, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Go away. I guess I wanted to bring up is that we're going to be, Timesys is going to be at the Artec in uh, Dallas on March 25th. And then after that, I think we'll, um, I think we have a couple weeks, a couple weeks off from being somewhere before the, They'll send out another marketing minion somewhere with the uh, brochures and everything. So again, thanks a lot. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to uh, drop us a line at podcast at timesys.com. Uh, we get a surprising amount of email and uh, we try to respond to every one of them, even the hate mail. We like the hate mail too. And then you can also get, uh, if you want to drop by uh, linuxlinkradio.com, that's where we have our podcast posted I think we're, we're working on our second year of podcasts. So there's a decent amount of material out there. And you can just download. I know it's an AUG and regular format. And it's also available on iTunes, too, if you search for uh, just search for Linux Link Radio. Uh, two words, and you can find out what you're looking for. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. This podcast was brought to you by TimeSys. Are you new to embedded Linux? Looking for a way to simplify your next project? The Linux Link service by TimeSys makes it easy to build your custom embedded Linux platform. Go to TimeSys.com today or call 866-392-4897 to learn more.